Hello, this is Jeff Vanderstelt, Executive Director of Saturate and the host of the Saturate podcast. Saturate exists to serve and equip leaders to start and strengthen unified gospel city movements that lead to gospel saturation. To the end that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to meet Jesus through his church on mission everywhere and Lord willing every day. Now we believe this is going to require, as Jesus prayed in John 17, that the church is going to actually have to be unified, that we have to collaborate together around his vision for what he is going to accomplish. And we believe that collaboration needs to be around five key initiatives, which we see in Acts 13 and 14 in the Apostle Paul's ministry. And those are citywide prayer, leader health, disciple-making strategies, serving the city together in a way that they get to really experience the kingdom of God uh, being realized where they live, work, learn, and play. And then lastly, starting new churches or new kingdom initiatives together. Now, in this episode, we're going to be hanging out with a good friend of mine who uh, is part of the Soma family of churches and just a dear, dear brother. His name is Adonacio Segovia, and he started and leads Soma Carretero. And he also gives leadership to, the, to Familia Soma, Familia Soma in Mexico. Uh, so, uh, Anasio, so good to have you with us. Thank you for making the time to, to join me on this. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. Anasio, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you, uh, who you are, a little bit of your family, and then some of the origin story of what led you back to Mexico and to do the work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll describe it in uh, Cairo's moments, I guess, or key moments, because there's a lot there. But um, so I'm married to Sunshine, my lovely wife. Uh, we've been married to close, for close to 18 years now. We met in uh, middle school. We have two boys, two sons, uh, Noam, who's now in uh, high school, senior in high school, I guess I would say in the United States, and Pablo, who is in third grade. I was born in Mexico in a not very known state, Michoacan. I lived in a small town, spent some time in a uh, small village with my grandparents as well. My father and mother divorced when I was around six, I think. And then I'm saying that because then after that, my mom moved to the United States and took us to the United States when I was nine. Uh, We landed in uh, the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I grew up, when I think of home, when I think of roots, I think of uh, a city called Concord in the East Bay. But not just a city, uh, a neighborhood, a primarily immigrant neighborhood, Latino neighborhood, uh, Monument Boulevard. Um, I'm saying all of that because I got to experience the church firsthand there, the institutional church. When I was a kid, they would bring in gifts and stuff like that, maybe around Christmas. Mm. But I was also, I I now understand I got to experience discipleship by this random guy who would show up every week and just spend time with uh, a bunch of ghetto kids. And he would just uh, listen and be present. So even in that neighborhood, I got to, to experience the church. I didn't realize it back then. Wow, that's cool. I, yeah, after that, it, it's a long journey, but um, I met Jesus, I think, in you know, mid-20s. Yeah, around mid-20s. When I was working for a startup, um, I, I was living the American dream. I went from being a janitor at one point to working for startups. So I got to enjoy a lot of things, but I didn't have Jesus. So I, I learned then that. I could have everything, but without Jesus, it was pretty empty. Once I met Jesus, I wanted to talk about him. There has not been a greater thing that, that I've experienced. So I, was, I went through this crazy phase of walking in the streets, uh, sharing the gospel in, in a weird way, just ran, walking up to random people and stuff like that. 
um, I felt called into ministry. Um, and I thought that would look like a traditional route, um, maybe like Bible college and then seminary. But those, those doors were not open to me. So I continued to be in the, in the marketplace. And that's really where God taught me a lot of things about, in a weird way, the church, how it works, how you structure that, but in the context of, uh, of Silicon Valley. I felt led to Mexico, go back to Mexico with my family. And that was not something, honestly, that I wanted to do. Um, Mexico for me had a lot of fears and things from my childhood. So I didn't really want to. I tried to compromise with God several times. Like maybe I could plant a church in a Hispanic neighborhood, Mexico, Hispanic neighborhood. There's no difference. I guess there is a difference. So anyways, God led me back to Mexico and my family. And yeah, we landed here about five years ago. So there you go. That's the Twitter version of, of my origin story, I guess, and how I ended up in Mexico. All right. And where did you land at first? Yep. Uh, a city called Leon in the state of Guanajuato, which is almost in the geographical center of, um, of Mexico. And now, now you're in Querétaro, right? Yep, that right? Yep. No, that's right. Querétaro is a hard word to pronounce even for us Spanish speakers. And you've been there for three years, four years? In Querétaro? Yeah. Mm, no, about a year and a half. Oh, that's right. Yeah. You yeah. were doing some travel back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. We planted a church in, during COVID. Uh, so a lot of decentralized stuff, yeah. a lot of Zoom stuff. We planted a church that allowed me to kind of travel back and forth between San Miguel and Querétaro. All right. All right. Tell us a little bit more about that present expression of, of church that you're leading there. Yeah. Um, I'll start off with how it started. It was honestly through prayer. I, I, I was with my family in Leon. We knew that that was not going to be a city for us long term. My wife and my children visited Querétaro. We looked around. We're like, hey, this is great. We just felt at home. So my wife asked, why don't we live there? I was like, good question. So prayed about it. Um, I felt like we were supposed to move, kind of felt like we were supposed to plant a church. Um, I didn't know how that would work, honestly. New city, new context. I shared that dream with a, a good friend of mine. You know him, Mario Vera. And he was like, bro, I want to be part of that. And then uh, we started traveling to Querétaro about every other month just to pray because we, we had no idea what we were doing, honestly. We just felt like we were supposed to be here. Mario had a lot of good questions, how we were going to do it. And I had no answers because, you know, he's very good at asking the details, like how, how. I was like, I don't know, bro. Let, let's, let's pray and let's, let's ask God how he's going to do this. So those were some really good early days in the church plant when there was nothing except like prayer. And then looking back about a year and a half into the past, it's kind of weird to sit in that same spot where we prayed and it was just an empty land and in December, we gathered like the church just for, uh, for a fire pit and worship night. And Mario and I, I, I looked at Mario and I said, hey, bro, uh, can you believe we're doing this? I'm like, I still don't know how we did it, but hey, here we are. <laughs> so anyways, um, so what does that church look like? It looks like family trying to, to follow Jesus on mission, equipping saints for everyday life. And I say that not simply because I'm part of SOMA, but it's really what we're focusing on, helping the saints understand and see God's grace in their everyday life, at work, at home, and things like that. I, I want to just pause and acknowledge something. That, you know, I think so often when people think about starting a new church, they move right to strategy, and they try to figure out, okay, how are we going to fund it, and where are we going to meet, and what are we going to do when we meet? And they start to ask all these questions, and then they ask God to bless it. Mm. They, they pray. <laughs> 
And I, what I, one thing I really, I really have always appreciated about your story is uh, we don't know. Uh, so let's pray. And I just, you know, that's the way we see the apostle Paul uh, in the church in the Antioch, they're praying. And then God says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas. It's in their prayer that they get their strategy. And that mm-hmm. continues to be the way that Paul operates all the way through his, his missionary journeys. And so uh, I, I don't say that to, to in any way puff you up other than just to say, I commend our listeners that, and I'm, I'm, I will go to strategy way too quick. So I'll just be the first to admit I'm guilty of this, but man, if we could slow down and wait on the Lord and walk in humility and acknowledge our limitations and that we really don't know as much as we think we do. (laughs) I just love that about both you and Mario, the way you approach that. So thanks for setting an example and even sharing that part of the story. I was hoping you would. So, yeah, I, I mean, part of that too, I think it's learning because it, for me, there is a temptation, right? Growing up in the States, strategy, vision, tactics, programs, all of that. And I think success is primarily driven through numbers and growth. And that, that's what gets celebrated. Those yeah. are the guys that get the books published and things like that. Um, but the reality is, I wish I could be like, hey, because I'm super spiritual. But the reality is that there, there was no other option. Uh, there was no, no other option we had but to pray. So I, I think that's God's mercy, uh, kind of mm. like settling us down a little bit. Though there is strategy, we realize that we're going to miss the mark a lot of times when we, when we go through strategy and we learn back uh, from mistakes. We evaluate decisions and be like, you know, how much time did we spend in prayer and fasting and trying to listen to the Spirit? We still scrape our knees quite a bit. But I think, you know, in the New Testament, you see that as well. So anyways, um, yeah, it's a good place to be, but it's also scary. Um, not having the answers, I think it's difficult sometimes, especially when you're leading a church. People want the answers from leadership, and it's like, we try, but we don't actually have them. Well, in, in this present moment, what are some things you're celebrating uh, as you think about the work God's given you to do there? I think one of them is um, over the last few weeks, I hear more and more of people in Soma Querétaro, you know, because we do prayer requests every week and we celebrate we pray for things, but uh, praise reports. Uh, I see more people saying, "Hey, I'm just thankful because I'm I'm able to share my faith in a natural way." And these are some some of these people. Um, a couple of them have been in church or grew up in church their whole lifetime. They took the classes, they knew the truths, but they still didn't know how to share Jesus. So to go from that to now sharing Jesus, like where they are in the workplace, at home, and things like that. In a way that you know, they say it's not forced, but it's natural. I, I celebrate that a lot because we spend most of our time talking about the gospel and trying to get them to see how beautiful Jesus is and his work. And eventually they start talking about him. So I celebrate that quite a bit. That's one. The other one as well is like new believers that come to Christ and um, they don't know, kind of, they don't have all the right words, but they're like, hey, I want to I invite my friends to meet you. Like, they have to listen to you guys. And we're like, I don't know. Okay, sure. Let's, let's hang out and let's have tacos and, and, and coffee and things like that. So I celebrate that, that almost like fresh faith that I'm seeing with old believers and new believers. Mm, man, that's good stuff to celebrate. I, you said it before, we tend to celebrate numbers and, and what you just described is celebrating obedience, celebrating faithfulness like we can't control the fruit that's up to the lord but we can control faithfulness like are we willing to go and talk about jesus and and then you guys are getting to experience some of that fruit and 
there's a lot of joy with new birth, you know, and there's the freshness that that brings and the new perspective. So, man, I'm, I'm encouraged to hear that that's happening. As you, as you think about the work that you're doing and, and feel free to not only talk about if, um, what's happening with the local church that you're working with, but also stuff maybe even across the country as we have, you know, we have a few other churches that are part of the Summer Family in Mexico. What, what would you say have been some real key initiatives or practices that you just go like, these are, these were absolutely required. Like in order for us to do what we're doing or any of the churches in Mexico to do what they're doing, these are some things that just, I would say you have to, you have to have them in place. Mm. If I look back, it's really through mistakes. Um, We're very relational. I did not understand how important that was until in the local church. I noticed that we need to invest a lot of, you know, relational time, but also with other churches. If I look back at all of the other sister churches in Mexico right now, it all started with, with relationships over meals, uh, talking, hanging out. We were not talking about anything else, no plans, no strategy. And I think I, I would honestly say it's like the 7-Eleven problem we have in Mexico. What I mean by that is um, most of the convenience stores in Mexico are owned by you know, families, mom and pop shops, though we have some key chains and things like that. But I think one of the challenges for me was try to approach leading the church family down here and even serving other churches, more like a 7-Eleven, like a brand, thinking that that would kind of create a little bit of credibility and trust. I was not prepared uh, to learn that. That doesn't count here. Hmm. Like, because there is this tendency to be like, I want to be careful how I say this, but you know, the U.S. sends a lot of waves of new things, new programs, new strategies. And some of the local pastors kind of feel like, what do you want us to adopt now? Mm. So some of them have become my friends now. And one of them told me, he's like, I did not want to talk to you for a few years. He's like, I wanted to see what you guys were all about. And he was like, I needed to know who you were and what your intentions were. Like if I was just trying to build a platform essentially or if I cared about the local church. So I I didn't know that, honestly. I was not prepared for that, which creates another problem as well, honestly, which is church planting is relatively new in Mexico. Uh, I think we're barely getting that church planting wave that started in in the States about, what was it, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's new here. So there's a lot of guys that are planting churches, almost like spiritual orphans, but they're looking for what they would consider is covering and what I found was that some of them wanted to kind of be with us mainly for that covering. And we're like, well, we don't do that. We need to know each other and things like that. So I think learning to be relational, uh, going slow, serving the local convenience stores that are owned by families, if you will, in that analogy, I think long term is better and healthier than, than 7-Eleven churches. Um, yeah, there, there's mm. a lot. That's really, that's really good, though. I mean, the primacy of relationship, the slowness to build trust, the recognition that you had to learn what the culture actually needs. Like, I think that's a huge principle that we don't come in with our plan and our strategy, but we come and we listen and we learn and we understand ways in which it's going to make sense to the people we're wanting to serve and, and reach. And it actually does does a ju- good justice to their heart, you know, and to their culture. So, I mean, that all that's really, really good stuff. Yeah, there's, there's a second thing too, which is, so that, that's the 7-Eleven problem. Uh, another thing that I'm learning to serve the local church and 
family of churches and other churches that, that you know, have now opened their doors. Uh, it's like, maybe I'm showing my age here, but you know, I'll call it the Michael Jordan problem, which is a lot of the church planting stuff gets imported, mainly from the States. And it's through videos and through books. So what you end up having here is a value for like preaching, which is great. It's awesome. But that's a very small percentage of what a pastor and a leader does. But I would lament for that in the sense that a lot of the churches um, focus primarily on that. But there's not a lot of like shepherding. And I even see that in the local context. I have an awesome dude, evangelist. His prayer is like, I'm requesting prayer because I want to share the gospel with more people at my workplace. One day he told me, he's like, hey, uh, which, uh, which theology book should I read? And I was like, sure, that's good. But why? Why do you want to do that? And he's like, because I want to lead the church or lead a church, excuse me. And I was like, man, that's good. But have you noticed that what you're doing for the church right now is actually really valuable? I'm like, people seek you. You're creating spaces on a weekly basis. You're asking good questions. You're sharing the gospel. I was like, that is something to celebrate. That is something we need to develop. That is something we need to to equip with a little bit more. And I was like, you know, all these other um, head knowledge or academic knowledge is good. But I almost feel like the example of church leadership, primarily because we see it, I think, externally from the States, it's leading the church and serving the church is one gift in one place, like, you know, for certain hours. Yeah. So I'm learning to, to kind of like um, help people see God's grace and the gifts he's given them for his church uh, in, in everyday life, honestly. I'd be like, that's valuable. That's just as important as, uh, as a sermon on Sunday. So. Absolutely. Well, that's good. So, Adonasi, what are some of the struggles that you've faced along the way? And how have you been? Nav- how have you navigated some of those struggles? By the way, one of the reasons why I wanted to ask this question, I think lots of people talk about the successes. They talk about the strategy, the initiatives, all that stuff. And But it's like, this is hard. It's just hard. There's no way around it. And, and I, I think it's one thing that I'm always hopeful for is that people have a more realistic uh, picture of the work and, and therefore have a much more ho- a hopeful realism, right? Because I think yep. what happens is we, bec- we started with this unrealistic optimism and then things are really hard and then we get discouraged and we're like, man, no one told me it was going to be like this. So I would rather just go like, let's talk about the truth. This isn't easy. What are some of those challenges? What are some of those struggles? And how, how have you or how are you even navigating through those? Man, it's a really good question. Um, I think redefining success and accepting it. Um, mm. What I mean by that is there is a temptation to be like, okay, even though I, I can say it every day, like it's not about numbers and things like that, but what gets celebrated, what gets supported primarily from the States, what gets a platform, if you will, is numbers at the end of the day. And what that means is replicating uh, almost like a mirror of what's in the United States. So I think that's a challenge, um, understanding that this is a different context and numbers are not going to be there, not like that, not really to serve the local church to be uh, involved. So I think that was, that was kind of like a hard lesson for me to know that you know, God is way better than me at defining what's needed for his church. And that may not align with my plans. Hmm. Um, so that's one. The other one, another thing that I've struggled with on a personal level is 
that as I'm planting a church, God is working in me as well. He's working on my sanctification. And one of the things I was not expecting is the toll that it takes on, 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 on family life. I think I've heard of it, but it's kind of like, I guess, people may describe what you know, being in a battle uh, feels like. But until you're there, it's hard to explain. So I would say that like nothing prepared me for how bad my family was going to take the brunt of mm-hmm. church planting. And I don't mean, mean because people expected something from them. I mean, just the, the emotional, the spiritual, like everything, honestly, went through my wife and my, and my sons. Uh, there's, there were times where I was like, this is not worth it. I went out. Um, I, I did not sign up to see my family suffer. So I think that's one. Uh, another one, the any other struggle like that. Yeah, and honestly, like how lonely this is, how lonely this could be. I'm blessed to have you as a mentor, uh, to have Duke as a former mentor as well. I'm blessed to be in shared leadership with Mario and Esau. But honestly, like it's, I worked in Silicon Valley for like really high pressure environments, like long shifts, executing vision and strategy, all of that uh, with teams across the world. But nothing compares to how difficult church planting is because you may have the right strategy, the right tools, but man, God's working in you. Mm. Like if you do a Sunday service, right? And you can say, hey, it's not about numbers, but if a few people show up, like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And it's like, no, it's not about me. But man, God's working in me. So I think how raw it feels, nothing prepared me for that. How lonely it is. Even when you have mentors, when you have friends, there's those doubts. Like, is this the right thing? Because hmm. also the last thing I think that was, has been really difficult and I struggle with on a personal level is, in a way, you kind of forfeit the future. What I mean by that is in my previous work environment, like there were steps, you know, mm-hmm. next promotion, golden parachute, recruiters. And here's like, I don't know what's going to happen a week from now, let alone five years from now, 10 years from now. So I think the sanctification process that happens in church planting was not, I was not prepared for that. And also to get from point A to point B, you know, I thought it would be ups and downs. But it's almost like spaghetti. You go back, you go forward, you make really bad decisions, multiply churches through division, hurt people without wanting to. It's pretty almost chaotic. And that's not something, honestly, that I expected, like the raw feeling and emotions that come along with church planting. I don't mm. know if I answered your question. Wow, man. <laughs> Did you ever? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so thankful for your honesty and transparency man that's huge so i i guess i want to follow that up with like so how do you navigate that like or how how are you learning to navigate through that i think it's transparency um transparency with god first and foremost you know i guess technically it's confession of sins right Hmm. um accepting the fact that perhaps a lot of that it has to do with moving uh, ahead of what god wants you know, my plans and his are not always that. The other thing is, um, I'm thankful that I'm part of a church family where, where I have people like you that, that can come alongside. And honestly, like, I don't have to pretend. I, I can be real and honest and not fear that I'm going to be rejected because I'm not performing uh, well. Because I think perhaps in church planting, 
Like if you're not meeting certain expectations, you're basically out. So for me, having family, church family, that where I can be transparent. I know that I can call a few dudes in the States, including yourself, and, and be transparent with my struggles. Um, that helps. Being transparent with Mario and Esau, uh, the other leaders, helps. But also understand, I think, embrace that that's kind of part of it, right? If, if we're in the middle of warfare, if we're, if we're advancing the kingdom, if you will, like there's going to be opposition. So perhaps being uncomfortable, I, I should embrace the fact that that is going to be difficult and that I'm blessed to have others whom I can be transparent with. Mm, that's I don't know if I answered your question. You did. Yeah. I mean, it just, what comes to my mind is, you know, Jesus tells his disciples, you know, you're going to, you're going to experience persecution. You're going to suffer. If they treated me like this, don't be surprised that you're going to enter into something that's going to be really, really painful. And, mm-hmm. and yet he says, but, you know, but keep in mind, I've overcome the world. And so he, he's, he's inviting us to embrace the reality of how hard it's going to be, but to not be alone in it. Like we get to go to him and like you said, have others that we can share this with. And I, that's one of my biggest desires. If, if I have something I have a deep passion around, it's that leaders will stop doing this alone, that they'll have a place they can be honest and real, transparent. They can not have to pretend like it's not hard, uh, but they can truly embrace like the apostle Paul did. Like he just is really honest about how hard it was. And, and even how he wanted God to get, make it easier for him. <laughs> Please remove this thorn, you know, in my flesh. And yet God says, no, it's not, that's not what I'm going to do because it's, it's in your weakness that that my my strength, my power is being perfected in you. So Paul says, I, I would much rather than boast in my weakness because uh, that's when I'm strong. And and I, that's what I've, I've seen you begin to do over the last year or so, you know, just uh, really get to have the freedom to show up, embrace weakness, be needy for God and people. And it's a joy for me to see what it's doing to your leadership. Like it, it really is changing how you lead. And it's beautiful, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Well, in light of that, maybe this is the answer to the question I'm about to ask me. We, we already we already answered it, but what what kinds of breakthrough stories or moments have you just stepped back and went, man? That and you shared some of them already. People sharing their faith, this journey you're on. But anything else you want to share in terms of like some breakthrough stories or moments that you just go, man, that's a really really good one. That should, that will encourage people. Yeah, I, I, on, a lot of it is like the small victories. I mm. think. Um, Stuff that would be hard to post on social media, honestly. Um, for me, uh, small breakthrough. I'll give you two. One in the local church context. Um, we were gathering at a park for many reasons. And this guy goes up to us and he's like, hey, are you guys a Christian church? And we're like, yeah, we are. And I'm like, can I bring my wife? And we're like, sure. Man, um, now it's God right there. Uh, this family is now core, a core a family of, of Soma Querétaro. Uh, this man, he was not a Christian. We're like, are you a Christian? And he's like, no, but my wife is. So we thought that she was going to show up every Sunday and start gathering with us and then eventually get involved with the other rhythms of the church. What I was not expecting was that he would come to faith. And he has a crazy story, crazy story. But to see him now be uh, on fire for the gospel, even though he doesn't have the right words, um, <laughs> it's really encouraging, right? And man, he's always encouraging, uh, encouraging us. He's always trying to like, get more people involved. He brings his family. 
He's been missional without ever reading a missional book. Um, so that's encouraging and celebrating that. That's awesome. Uh, I think that's one. Another one that it's encouraging for me is last year I was invited to do a training in a, a neighboring state. Now, I live in a bubble. You should know something about Querétaro. We're, I feel like we're a sanctuary city. What I mean by that is, for whatever reason, things are very calm, very safe here. People can thrive. So people from other parts of Mexico and, and, and the world actually move to Querétaro. But there are other areas of Mexico, which is more like what you see in the news. So I went to do a training in this tiny church, um, small town. And the moment I walked in into that town, like, I don't know how to describe it. I felt like this oppression. It was weird. And then at night, the pastor drove me around. He's like, I'm going to show you the city now. And one of the saddest things for me was to see younger people just driving around, getting drunk. And the pastor would be like, that's uh, where they sell this type of drug and where they sell that other type of drug. And you will see the cops like not doing anything. And primarily it's because uh, organized crime is like a cancer in that small town. And basically they, they've infiltrated all of the institutions. And it's just a, it was a weird place, honestly. It, it was weird to hear some of those stories, especially coming from the States. But um, honestly, I was pretty sad and borderline depressed. I was like, this sucks. Like, I, I don't want to be here. I'm afraid. I don't see how any of this will change. And then I got together with the church. And this, in this small, like this pocket of darkness, there was this tiny congregation faithfully following Jesus. And they were shining bright, bright. Now, this is not a key city. Organizations are not going to go to this city because it's not, it, it doesn't influence anything. Like there's not much there going on, tiny population. But I was encouraged because it reminded me that God is on mission. He cares about that little town. And I knew that because of this tiny church. That was, and the teenagers in that congregation were stark a contrast to what was going on around the city. So I, I was humbled by God's work in such a tiny place. Oh man, that's so encouraging. In fact, I'm, I, my hope right now is if people are listening and they're like, we're that small church, you know, we, I feel like we're not, we're not going to make that big of a difference. We're not going to have that much of an impact. And it's, God is famous for working in small things and accomplishing great work. And so, man, I, I'm glad you shared that. That I hope that encourages a lot of people who are wondering if God is doing that same thing in their context. So. Yeah. That's cool. Man. So that's the story of small congregation. I'd like to share one more larger congregation. So mm-hmm. um, last mm-hmm. year, uh, Robert, uh, I think he's one of, he's involved with some. He invited me to go with him to Cuba. Oh, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. he did like this. He's one of our board members. Yeah, one of our board members. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he invited me to go with him to Cuba. Now, I didn't know much about mm-hmm. Cuba, but um, yeah, the moment I landed, same thing. I was like, oh, this feels so weird. Like, I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but it, I just felt, I don't know, it was a heavy place the moment we got off the airport and just interacting with people and stuff like that. And one of the things that was really interesting to me was that they, they like, I don't know who it was, the security pulled me aside and, and questioned me. And they didn't care about anything in my luggage. The only thing they wanted to know why I had two books, one of them being the Bible and a bunch of notebooks. And that's what they cared about. They didn't care about anything else. I could have been sneaking. Like, well, I took a bunch of medicine because you can't bring in medicine, but they didn't care about that. They were just like, well, what is this for? Who is this for? So I was just, it was weird to me. I've never experienced anything like that. And then to go and drive into the hotel or the, the Airbnb where we stayed, long lines of people, 
like honestly, like the way I would describe it is there was no hope in, the, in Havana. That's the way I would describe it. It was rough, very rough to see. I've never seen anything like it. It honestly felt like a jail. But again, then we got to meet a bunch of Cuban pastors. And it was a huge contrast because economically they were at the same level. They didn't have anything, but they had Jesus. I have not been around that type of worship in my life. Um, I asked the pastor, I was like, you know, what's your strategy? And he was like, what, what strategy? And I was like, how do you, how do you find church planters? And he's like, we don't find church planters. Like they're already, there's already church planters. We just trained them. They don't have a problem of, I would say, um, qualifying church planters because when you're a pastor in Cuba, you're signing up for a life of hardship. If you can, you will leave that country, including if you're a pastor. This man has gone through more than I, I can ever imagine. He shares some of those. But I'm saying all of that because I saw men and women extremely faithful to God in circumstances, at least I would say I wouldn't want to do it. But again, I saw the contrast of the church, people with hope in the middle of hopelessness. And they're, they're not well known. Uh, this network of churches are multiplying churches like crazy. Like we can learn a lot from them. They're not well known because they're, they're almost in an isolated bubble from the rest of the world. But I was encouraged because I get to see God work outside of our church family. And I get to see him uh, work in this, what I, most of us would be like, man, that's a really tough environment. But it's not for him. And his church mm. remains and he continues to be on mission. Mm. So. Two examples there of encouragement. Oh, that's so good, man. Thanks for sharing that. Makes me want to go visit with those pastors. <laughs> I'm sure I could learn a ton. Well, as you think about Carretero and Mexico and the future, what, what are you hoping for? What are you envisioning maybe might be the reality for how the church works together more collaboratively? Um, like when you think about what your hopes are on that, what, what comes to your mind? I think a lot of prayer. Or anything else, yeah, yeah. as you think about no, honestly, just, just prayer. Um, I think we are far behind. Culturally, we don't, we're kind of very, uh, like we all have our tribes more, more than in the States. So I think working at a multiple church level, especially in different networks and denominations is very difficult, at least from what I'm seeing here compared to the United States. But I think that's a Latino thing, honestly. Um, so my hope is that we would begin to see the church more like regionally, even citywide, little by little beyond the names of the congregations and partnering with God on mission. Um, that's kind of, that's my hope. Honestly, that's one. The other one, I kind of feel like we, we're desperate for like shepherds. I think we have great preachers. When I look at some of the resources that are coming in into Mexico, lots of strategy, lots of uh, trainings around uh, preaching and things like that. But boots on the ground, I, I would say we're, 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 we have a deficit of shepherds, uh, people that are willing to come alongside others and refather them, if you will, through the gospel mm. and, and be present. Uh, I think that's another one. And the last thing is, what I'm hopeful for is that we, we would begin to contextualize the gospel a little bit more, understand where we are. I think a lot of people uh, deal with shame here. It's an honor-shame culture, but I think um, the States doesn't. I think it deals more with guilt. So a lot of the way we even present the gospel to people here 
practically they still carry a lot of shame that really Jesus dealt with on the cross. So I'm hoping that we would begin to, to come alongside people and, and speak the gospel in, into the real, like everyday needs um, and how Jesus is good news for the stuff they carry. Mm, that's good, man. Well, my hope is that even now as listeners are listening in, they would just stop and just, or as we end this, they'd, they'd just pray for you in that. In fact, um, why don't we do that? Yeah. Why, don't, why don't we just take a moment? Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, but join, join with me, whoever's listening, and let's pray. Father, I'm grateful for Adonacio and for the team you've given him and the, the hope that you've inspired in him and the pain and suffering that he is able to embrace with you as you're forming in him more and more of, of what looks like Jesus. Uh, thank you for the, your sanctification and that you don't just start a work, but you finish it. Um, but we, we do bring the future of uh, Mexico and uh, the church there to you. We, we ask that you would move in your people to, to pray, to seek your face, to surrender their lives, to submit their plans, to invite you to build the church you are building in and through them. So we pray for an ongoing movement of prayer that would grow. We pray also, Lord, for uh, the gospel to be truly embraced and for this kind of toxic shame that has been put on so many uh, to be removed, Lord, for them to know that what you did, Jesus, is sufficient for them and they can stand uh, in your presence boldly, uh, knowing that you love them, accept them, and are able to give them everything they need. So we pray that that would happen. And Lord, that you would bring more fathers, more leaders that would come and shepherd your people and those who are not yet uh, part of the family, that there, there would be true spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that you bring to shepherd your people. As the Apostle Paul prayed, we, we, we have many guides. We have lots of people who want to teach, but boy, boy, we don't have many fathers. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bring spiritual parents alongside of people in Mexico. And we trust, Father, that you would do this for your, your glory, for the namesake of Jesus um, and by the power of your spirit. We pray. Amen. Any last thing you want to share uh, that is just to encourage listeners? Um, in the work they're doing? Um, I think if, if it's around church planting in everyday life, I think Jesus cares way more about his church than we can ever imagine from a tiny congregation mm-hmm. to a massive congregation. So I think being encouraged with that in the middle of the difficulties of church planting, we have a good father. Church unity is achieved through the Holy Spirit, right? One spirit. So we're not alone in this. Uh, and I think just bringing the spirit to everything we're doing walking, talking, preaching, not just going for orders and walking around, but being present and practicing that a bit more, I would say. Thank you. Hey, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, and even what my hope would be even better than that, not just learn about what you're doing, but support it you know, financially if they want to give or know how to pray. Is there anywhere you would want to direct them? Yeah, sure. Thanks. If anyone's interested to learn more or potentially give, wearesoma.com slash give a button there and you can actually uh, give to Familia Soma through there. Yeah, there's actually a, a button that they can click specifically for that. Yeah, correct? you go to give, there's a drop down menu and it asks you where to and Familia Soma is one of the options. Great. So we are Soma.com, give and then pick that button for Familia Soma. 
All right, good. And Nancy, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the sacrifices you've made. Uh, I'm thankful for the friendship we have and the encouragement you are to me. So thank you for all you do. You really are a blessing. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. You as well. Thank you. Hey, as we come to a close here, if you want to know more about uh, resources or training or hear other stories, uh, saturatetheworld.com is a great place to go for the podcast, for training, for resources. In fact, if you want more, you can become a member, a subscribing member to, uh, at saturatetheworld.com. And that's kind of like almost like a Netflix membership for uh, gospel saturation training. It's like you pay a monthly fee, but you get tons of resources. And here's the thing I want you to hear. If you if you'd become a Saturate member in terms of subscribing to what we have, you also give a free membership away. So last year we, we were able to give about 500 memberships away to, to leaders all around the world uh, who aren't nearly as financially prosperous as many of us here in the United States. So I encourage you to do that. Even if all you do is just help somebody else get it, that'd be great. And then second, I would love to invite you to pray and join us as a Saturate partner. As you just shared, Anasio, we want to see more and more people praying for the work of gospel saturation. So if that's something you're interested in, you can just do hello at saturatetheworld.com and uh, we'll we'll start to communicate regularly with you on how you can pray specifically. And then all of this work needs your support financially too. So if you want to help us financially, you can also give to us. Uh, I want to make sure you give to someone familiar maybe first, but if you're able to give to saturatetheworld.com, that'd be great too. There's a give button at that location. Again, Ignacio, thank you so much for your time. And I think the listeners are going to be really encouraged by what you shared. Thanks for having me, bro.